excited today to get to have the privilege to speak to you, and I hope that you had a great Christmas and that you do have a wonderful new year. We're going to talk about that together, and for those of you who may be visitors or guests, I'm Pastor Mark's dad, and I've been preaching the gospel for many, many years, pastor for many, many years, so it's a joy to be with you again today. I want to ask you a question to start this morning's message and a question that uh, probably you can answer just off the top of your head, but that might not be the best answer, but if you want to do that, that's okay. What is your greatest need for the new year? Your greatest need. Some of you say, more money. Wow, that's what I need, more money. Better house. Some of you ladies, some nice clothes. Some of us, a new car. I don't know. Those are just superficial probably Maybe you do really need that, but if you get down to the deeper, probably if you would talk about what your greatest need, it might be to change some of your attitudes, deal with some of your habits, overcome some of your addictions, deal with that person that you hate, forgive them, maybe exercise more love for your family, for your mate, for your kids for those you love the most. But all of those are not the answer. None of those, as great as those needs are, I believe our greatest need for the new year is the power and the strength to do the things that God wants us to do and be the things God wants us to be. We don't have the power to do it. How long do resolutions usually last? You know, I quit making resolutions a long time ago because... They only lasted a few days. I'm not going to eat as much. I'm going to exercise more. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Most of the time, I didn't follow through. But I found out that there's a better way, not to make resolutions, but to come to grips with how I can have the power and how you can have the power and the strength to do those things God wants us to do, to forgive that person, to produce more love for those we love the most and show them that we do and how we can overcome our addictions and habits and attitudes. And I believe it's because God has given to you, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you've truly met Christ, you've experienced his forgiveness, and you know what it means to have a relationship with him. He has, because of that relationship, placed in your spirit his Holy Spirit to give you the power to be and do what you ought to do. I want to talk to you today about a man who did that. His name was Stephen. He's only mentioned briefly in Scripture in Acts chapter 6 and chapter 7 and maybe another time or two. But he didn't live very long, but he lived an amazing life in those short years that he lived. He suddenly steps on the scene when the church at Jerusalem is just getting started. They've they've had 3,000 people trust Christ on the day of Pentecost. And many people are coming to know the Lord. And the church is booming and growing. But there's a problem in the church. Some needy people who really need help and who are hungry are not getting taken care of. And so the apostles, who are busy preaching the gospel, ask seven men to take this responsibility. And they pick Stephen. And the Bible says they pick people who were full of the Holy Spirit. Stephen was a full man. 
The Bible talks about this in Acts 6 and 7. It says he was full of grace, he was full of faith, he was full of power, and he was full of the Holy Spirit. What does that really mean to be full of the Holy Spirit? I think it means that we're controlled by the Holy Spirit. Stephen was just an ordinary guy. He was not one of the preachers. He was not some kind of great theologian. He was just an average guy. But you see, you become extraordinary. You're no longer average when you trust God's Spirit to give you power. And every day you say, Lord, I can't do this, but you can through me, so give me the power to do this. So I want us to see that. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts 6. If you want to look on the screen or look in your notes, it's in the notes as well. But I want you to see, first of all, what I've already said. The Holy Spirit will be, if we will allow him to, our source of power. You see, what fills your life drives you, controls you, motivates you, determines what you do. If you're filled with greed, then money is your God, and that's what controls you. If you're filled with lust, then that's what controls you. If you're filled with selfishness, that's what controls you. If you're filled with hurt and anger and resentment, that's what controls you. But if you're filled with God's Spirit, that's what controls you. Notice how Paul described it with picturing it as the opposite of being drunk with wine. In, in the fifth chapter of Ephesians, verse 18, he said, Do not be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. When a person is drunk with wine, it affects how they talk, it affects how they walk, it affects how they think, it affects their decision-making, it affects everything about them. It controls them. And when we're controlled by God's Spirit, it control, He controls us. His power controls us. You see, being controlled by the Spirit is not a luxury for a few super-Christians. It is a necessity for every Christian. Let me tell you why. Are there some things that you say, I wish I could overcome that, I can't. I wish I would be better at that, but I can't. I wish I could do that, but I can't. Why is that? Because you don't have the power. So obviously you need power and strength you don't have. And that comes from the Holy Spirit as you cleanse your, as you ask him to cleanse you of every sin and take full control. Several times in Scripture, the Bible talks about some people who were filled with fear. That means they were controlled by their fears. Some were filled with sorrow. They were controlled by their sorrows. What fills us controls us. Right now, just say, Lord, control me with your spirit. If there's a sin in my life that's keeping me from you having control, show, it up, show me what it is, I'll confess it, and he will, he will take it away and forgive it, and you can ask him to fill you. But also, the Holy Spirit will give us a message and the power to proclaim it. Let's read from Acts chapter 6, beginning at verse 8. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene in Africa and Alexandria in Egypt, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. And the word argue here doesn't mean quarrel. It means to debate. It's like they were having a debate over what Stephen was sharing. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave Stephen as he spoke. Here's an ordinary guy 
He doesn't have a theological education. He doesn't have a super intelligence. He's just an average guy. But when he speaks depending on God's spirit, he is able to share things that he could not share. He's able to speak in a way that's convincing and powerful as he relates to these people. Friends, I want you to know something. You can do the same. You say, oh, I could never, ever speak for God. I can't even do it on a one-on-one -on -one basis, especially before a group. Well, God may not want you to do it before thousands of people, but he may obviously want you to do it with individuals that you know. See, the Bible says that if we really let his spirit take control, we can share things we don't think we can. We can be a witness for Christ. Let me tell you a, a story. Back years ago, one of my church members where I was pastor came to me and said, Pastor, I have a, a very dear friend who doesn't have a relationship with Christ. And Christ has changed my life, and I would so like for Christ to change his life. He's been attending church. Would you go with me to talk with him? And I said, of course. I said, now, since he's your dear friend, I think it would be good if you would begin the conversation with him about Christ by sharing what Christ has done for you, how he's changed your life, and inviting him to put his faith in Christ too. And then I'll pick it up and kind of guide the discussion along. So we went to the man's house. He was a friend of mine too. I knew him, not nearly as much as my other friend. And so he began and he started, and he started sharing how Christ had changed his life. And then all of a sudden, he just got so choked up. He just got so emotional about it. He couldn't speak. And tears began to run down his face as he shared with his friend. His words stopped. And so I picked up and shared about Jesus with his friend. And his friend said, I'll think about it. And so we left. And as we left, my friend said to me, you know, I made a fool of myself and I didn't do any good at all. I said, listen, you had one of the most powerful witnesses I have ever seen in my entire life. He said, what do you mean? I said, you had the power of concern, of a burden for your friend. You were weeping. You were choked up. You couldn't even speak. And he said, well, that's true, but he said, I couldn't get out my words. A few, a few days later, his friend came into a relationship with Christ and experienced the same wonderful forgiveness and love that Jesus had given to him. You see, that's what I'm talking about. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, that wasn't some eloquent sermon, but tears from the heart that came from the eye. I tell you, God wants to speak through you. In chapter 7, Stephen preaches one of the most powerful sermons in the Bible. He begins with the history of Israel and goes all the way through how God had worked in Israel's life and how they had rejected him. That's the power of the Spirit. But I want you to notice also that the Holy Spirit will give you the power to stand against opposition. Let's continue reading. Look at verse 11. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. They stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law they seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against the holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting 
in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. They opposed him. His words struck their hearts and showed them their sins and they rejected the truth. And so they got false witnesses. They dragged Stephen before the Sanhedrin. Now the Sanhedrin was a body of Jewish leaders, 70 in total. They were the same group that crucified Jesus. And now Stephen is on trial before them. The same people that put his Lord on the cross. The same people that ordered all that terrible agony to come to him. They're the ones who are judging him. And Stephen stands in opposition in God's power. He doesn't curse. He doesn't scream. He doesn't yell. He doesn't make a scene. He doesn't try to do something that would show he's being a victim. He simply stands true to his Lord. I want to share with you something. You may not have thought about it, but things are happening and they're changing all around us. Our country's changing, and opposition to Christianity is growing everywhere in America. People are opposed to it. People are ridiculing it. People are condemning it. And everywhere around us, there is much opposition to our faith in Christ and to our Lord. And it's not probably will keep growing. And you and I will have the test of will we stand? Will we remain true? Will we give ourselves in totality to Jesus Christ? But I want you to notice also, we can be like Christ. Because the Bible says, as they looked at Stephen, they saw his face glowing like the face of an angel. You see, the inner Holy Spirit within him was shining forth. The test of every Christian's faith is when the darkest days come, when the opposition is the greatest, when criticism comes, when evil comes, when hate comes, when hurt comes, when all kinds of rejection comes, and then we stand true to Jesus. He glows in us. He shows his power. He lets people see how great he really is. But I want you to also see that the Holy Spirit will give us the power of a new vision of Jesus. In the seventh chapter, after he has finished speaking his long message to them, they are more angry. Verse 54 says, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, Stephen's message, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. I've always wondered what that meant. I don't I know about how you can grind your teeth. Is that what they did? I don't know. Gnash their teeth. That sounds awful. That's what they did. But Stephen, notice, full of the Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. What happened in the hour of his greatest need as he is being condemned God gives him because why? He's full of the Holy Spirit, the Scripture says. He's controlled by the Spirit, a new vision of Jesus. His enemies didn't see it. They called it blasphemy. But he said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. There he is. There's my Christ who died and rose again and went back to heaven. My Lord, there he is in all his power and glory. And that vision of Jesus as he looked past the angry mob, as he looked past the problems, as he looked past the, all that was going on, he saw Jesus. 
You see, the Holy Spirit wants to give us renewed visions of Jesus. I don't mean a vision in the night. I'm not talking about some ghost-like figure. I'm talking about in our hearts, just like here with him, a vision that sees not just with physical eyes, but sees with spiritual eyes that Jesus Christ is there as we go through that tough time, as we feel that rejection and that hurt. He's there, and we say, Lord, give me a new vision of Jesus. Let me see this one who died for me, who rose again for me, who by his Spirit lives in me. Let me see his power. Let me see his glory. What are you experiencing? Are you experiencing difficult days? Look for a new vision of Jesus. Just pray, Lord, give me a new vision of Jesus. Start reading about the cross at the end of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Start reading about the resurrection and you will discover his unconditional love. And you will discover once again his great, great mercy and grace for you if you will just look for him and ask his spirit to reveal him. Also, we find out from Stephen, the Holy Spirit will give us the power to love our enemies. Let's continue reading. Verse 57. As this, at this they covered their ears, and yelled at the top of their voices. And they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Then verse 60, Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Somebody is killing you, and you pray for them. There is only one way anybody could ever do that as God's Spirit enables them. Stephen is being stoned to death. They're pelting him with not just pebbles, but gigantic stones, big stones. And he's dying. And he prays, Lord, don't lay this sin to their charge. It's so much like what Jesus prayed on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't realize, they don't understand, they don't fathom what they're doing. You see, how can you love somebody that hurts you so deeply? You can't do it emotionally. How can you forgive and be willing to want the best for somebody who is mean to you and, and has done all kinds of things against you? How can you do that? You can't. I can't. I've had people do that to me. I couldn't love them. I've prayed for people for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks who've hurt me. And God was able through a miracle in me that he did by his spirit to change my attitude toward that person. You can say, Lord, I choose, not emotionally because I'll never feel it, probably emotionally. I choose to forgive and love and wish the best for that person who was so mean and hateful to me. That's why Jesus commanded, love your enemies. Pray for them that despitefully use you. Do good to those who are evil to you. I can't do that. And I think that's one of the most amazing testimonies of the grace and power of God. It's when we can love someone. And I don't mean love emotionally. I mean I choose to love. Love is not an emotion. Love is a choice. Love is a decision. I love you. You see, if you only love as an emotion, you won't love very much. But if you choose to love, it means you act in love. And God's agape love for us is a love that's unconditional. He loves us just as we are. He loved us in spite of what we've done. 
He loves us no matter how far we've gone into sin. And he forgives us if we trust him. And we can have that same kind of love for others. But also, the Holy Spirit does more. He will give us the power to die at the time of death. The, power, the grace that we need to die. Listen about Stephen. They dragged him out of the city, began to stone him. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. The Bible says he prayed just like Jesus did on the cross. Jesus said, Father, I give you my spirit. I commend to you my spirit. You see, that's what, what is going on here. You see, the Holy Spirit comes to live in our spirit. And when death comes, if we're trusting him, then his spirit gives us strength and gives us, gives us courage and takes away our fears and enables us to face death. But he also takes us home. Paul said, absent from the body, present with the Lord. When you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, he's going to take you home to heaven one day. Now, first, he's going to take your spirit. This is the real you, where he lives. And then eventually, he's going to give you a new body with that spirit that's going to be like the body of Christ after his resurrection, a body that has no hindrances, no hurts, no, no failures, no sins, no sicknesses, none of those kind of things. But the Bible also says that when he had said this, he fell asleep. Well, he didn't just fall asleep. It was a different kind of sleep. He, he fell asleep momentarily because he died, but he woke up in the presence of Christ. I remember when I was a kid, I was probably six or seven, several times my family and I would be visiting with some neighbors or some relatives, and it would be get a little later at night, and as a kid I'd get sleepy, and I'd fall asleep on their couch or in their chair or on the floor. And then when I would wake up, the sun would be shining the next morning, and I'd be in my bed, and I didn't even know how I got there. But you see, I really knew underneath that my loving father reached down and picked me up, and he carried me out of that house where I did not live and carried me home to the place where I did live and put me in that bed that had been prepared for me. That's what my heavenly father is going to do. You see, he's going to come for each of us one of these days if we're a believer, and he's going to say, come on to my house today, and we're going to fall asleep. And when we wake up, we're not going to be here. We're going to be with him. I want to say something that may seem a little morbid to you, but it isn't really. Some of us in this congregation today are going to die this year of 2019. As sure as we all sit here today, some of us will. We may be old, we may be young. We don't know it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. And that's not morbid, that's a reality. We have to face that. So the, the good thing is we can be like Stephen, about whom more is said about his death than anyone except Jesus in the New Testament, we can be ready to live or we can be ready to die by placing our trust in Christ and by letting his spirit control our lives. Now let me point out one other thing that's here. The Bible says they, the people who were stoning Stephen put their coats at the feet of a young man named Paul or Saul. This is that same Paul who wrote most of our New Testament under the inspiration of the Spirit. 
You see, he was against Christians. He hated Christians. He hated Jesus. But then he could never forget that day outside Jerusalem when a man's face shone like an angel, when a man prayed for his enemies, when a man exhibited a God-likeness that is humanly impossible. He could only do it by God's power. And as he saw that, he finally eventually himself came to Christ and became maybe the greatest Christian of all time. I say to you this morning, Stephen teaches us a lot. He was just an ordinary guy, but he teaches us how to live and he teaches us how to die. How do we do it? With a power that we don't have. And we can't, we can't say by determination, I'm going to do this. Or by sheer will, I will do this. But by his spirit, he will enable us to live from the inside out.